0: All right. If you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going we're to start in Genesis 50. Genesis 50. That's just one of those things that I've really been asking God to help me be like. I preached about it, a, I don't know when, a, couple month, a month or so ago, about us training ourselves to respond to His voice with obedience. And I really want this year, I'm trying to get better at that. And so God's like, kinda stretching me on things and and just little things. But like just there at the end, I was getting ready to close in prayer and I saw a picture of Kevin. And I just felt like, let Kevin close in prayer. And I said, nah, that's weird what am I going to do? Call him down here, walk up there, like worship team's not going to know what's going on. I'll just close in prayer. Prayer's a prayer. And it just wouldn't stop. God wanted Kevin to close in prayer today. And so I'm getting, I'm trying to get better at obeying, even when I don't understand why. And I'm glad I obeyed because that was a good prayer. That was the prayer that needed to be prayed here. So thank you, Kevin, for, for you being obedient because I would have looked kind of dumb if you weren't obedient if you would have said nah so I appreciate you praying too but that's the cool thing about being part of a body is because we all get to grow and stretch and learn and we get better together so uh so thanks Kevin if you're turning with me we're going to be in Genesis 50 and uh I was preparing a message for this week. I told the worship team a little bit it was gonna be a really cool message because this is the first uh, the first Sunday of the new year, and so I was gonna talk to you guys about first things. First things that you do and getting the first thing right and you know about your foundation and I found seven different firsts in the scripture, but then I got sidetracked on this other subject and I really felt like like God was wanting me to talk about this. So I guess we're gonna talk about first things the second week next week, but so today, I'm going to talk to you about what I got sidetracked on. And that's about the greatness that's inside of you. Now, I know a lot of times in church, we come together and we talk about the greatness of God and how great our God is. And we can all agree on that. We could say, yeah, God is great. God has, he's all powerful and He's everywhere, and we can go on and on and on about the greatness of God, but we don't talk a whole lot about the greatness that's on the inside of us. And and it's called different things, and a lot of times in church or in the Christian world, we call it your calling, your purpose, that, that dream, the thing that was placed on the inside of you, the thing that you're passionate about, but there's greatness on the inside of you. And some of us use it for what it was intended to be used for. And some people use that greatness for their own fame or glory. And, and some people use their giftings and their talents for, for different things. But you are the sons and daughters of God created in His image. And so if you truly believe that God is great, then you must believe that there is greatness on the inside of you, because inside of you is where his spirit dwells. There's greatness in you. Every one of you. The sad truth is that most people live their lives and they never realize or experience that greatness. And we could talk about all the way from on a spiritual level to a physical level, as far as athletes go to all different areas. In business, sports, I mean, think about how many hundreds, thousands of kids play rec ball and then it gets narrowed down to school ball and then it's narrowed down more for high school and narrowed down more for college and narrowed down more for professional sports and then you get down to like, I mean, you just think about just football, quarterbacks, from thousands and thousands and thousands of kids playing American football, we get down to like 32 starters in the whole world that realize their greatness as a quarterback. So that's what we're gonna talk about for a few minutes is, is the greatness that God has on the inside of you and how to unlock that greatness. And just a couple of different angles and aspects of that. Now, I was thinking about the book of Genesis. And I find it odd that we have this whole book of Genesis. And the first half of the book, like we all know how it starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. It's the start of creation. And then the story of mankind. Adam and Eve. And then it goes through all of us and all of all of mankind that's the first half of genesis and the whole second half of genesis is about the story of one dude Joseph the whole second half of the book and it's a lot and the book of genesis ends here in chapter 50 where we're just going to read a couple of verses there but the book of genesis ends when Joseph breathes his last breath he was a great dude He realized his greatness. He not only had a dream, a vision, a hope for the future. He he had these dreams that God gave him. But he walked it out. He realized the greatness that was on the inside of him. And he did what it takes to walk it out. Joseph had a great life. So we're going to talk about Joseph for a minute. His story is obviously way too long for us to read. Um, but just if you don't know the story of Joseph he was young he was his dad's favorite he had this dream that all of his brothers and his siblings and even his mom and dad would bow down to him and worship him and stuff and he ran and told all of them which I don't know about you but that probably wouldn't go over that well with my family if I gathered them all up at Christmas and said hey guys I would had a dream, and it was from God, and all of y'all are going to bow down and worship me and be my servants. You too, Mom, Dad, all of y'all. Like, that's what happened, and, but, I mean, his brothers got so mad, they didn't want to kill him, so they just beat him up, took his favorite possession, his coat, and they ripped it in pieces, and they threw him in a well, and then they sold him into human slavery the first account of human trafficking that we have was old Joseph here and he got taken off to a faraway land and purchased and we don't have time to go through his whole story but a lot of bad stuff happened to him and he remained faithful. Right? He remembered the dream. We saw that a few weeks ago. He remembered the dream and he kept on walking in obedience. He kept on doing the right thing. It would have been real easy when he was in Potiphar's house and things were going well and he was finally, you know, he had worked his way up a little bit and, and Potiphar's wife liked him. and She tried to sleep with him and, and right there it would have been real easy to take some instant gratification. To say, hey, you know what, things didn't turn out the way I thought. You know what, God wasn't looking out for me when I got sold into slavery and beat up by my brothers. That dream didn't even work out, so what does it matter? I'm just going to do what I feel like. Maybe this is the blessing of God. I mean, you can justify things all different ways. And guess what? I don't believe Joseph would have ever realized the greatness that was inside of him. He would have never saved the nation. He would have never saved his family, which turned out to be the nation of Israel, which is where Christianity and Jesus and everything that we believe comes from. Don't get distracted. don't talk yourself into things that you know aren't true. So in Genesis, we're at the end of Joseph's life and, and he saved the people and he's, he's the second most powerful man in the world at that time. Only Pharaoh was more powerful than Joseph. And, and at this point, his brothers and his dad and everybody has come back and there's been restoration and, and Joseph's dream was true. They all bowed down to him and begged him to save them. See, when they laughed at the dream and they were mad at the dream, right? But when things got really bad, when they were in their crisis, when they were broken, when they didn't know where to turn to, when they didn't know how they would be saved. Verse 24 says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, that's who was around him, when he was about to die, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swear to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. He's telling them I'm dying, but there's still a dream for you just because I'm dying, the dream's not over. In fact, you got a future. Remember the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We weren't supposed to end up here, so the dream's not over. He's telling them, just because I'm about to die doesn't mean it's over. Y'all have got greatness inside of you, so don't let your greatness die with me. Because I realized my greatness. It was just a step. Joseph said, hey, you still got a future, boys. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. He said, Hey, when y'all go into the land, when y'all walk into the, the next phase of this thing, bro, take my bones with you. Swear it to me. Take my bones. Kind of weird. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. Man, I hope I know when I'm about to die so I can give some good, powerful last words. Whoever, Whichever one of y'all are gathered around like that. Joseph got done with this little speech and he died. So I guess he was 110. He probably said like a bunch of speeches leading up to this one because he kept thinking he was dying. I don't know, but that's pretty cool. He got to say these last few awesome words. Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. It's the other thing. If they weren't in Egypt, see, since Joseph was so powerful, Joseph was embalmed and put in a coffin so that it was possible for them to take his bones. If they weren't in Egypt, that wouldn't have happened. So it got me thinking about Joseph and and about the greatness. And if we look at different Bible characters, i we're going to talk about Joshua in a minute and a couple of other different Bible characters because there's so many we could talk about that, that realize their greatness. That's why they got to be such a big part of God's story that we're still talking about thousands of years later, learning from. And I want to know, God, so how can I release the greatness in me so that my story doesn't just live and die with me? And I started thinking about just on a natural level about greatness and thinking about different athletes and different people that that we celebrate the best. The Olympics. We celebrate the best in the world. At what? Anything we can think of. They're the best in the world at this. The best in the world at that. Sky's all into basketball right now because it's basketball season. And he made the middle school team, so... I have this constant noise of a basketball bouncing on the ground in my head. Like I hear it right now. And so we have a lot of basketball talks in my house during this season and it'll change coming up, you know, in football season, it'll be football talks. But and and the talk that everybody always talks about is, is who's the best basketball player to ever live? And there's the argument for Michael Jordan and and. And technically, LeBron James statistically has, he holds that title. He's he's past Michael and and if you look at all the stats and plenty of arguments for LeBron James and that he is the greatest basketball player, definitely the greatest basketball player playing the game today and possibly the greatest ever. And so just thinking about that, okay, If LeBron James is the greatest basketball player ever, and he's won these championships and these titles, what is it? Like, what is it that makes him great? Like, when they won a title, was Cleveland great? Or was LeBron great? RJ, what do you think? Cleveland fan. And that's the question. Cleveland wasn't great before LeBron got there. But then they were considered great. He's considered the most dominant player in the NBA today. Game seven against the Celtics, he played all 48 minutes, never went out of the game. And that's unheard of. For somebody to be able to play an NBA game the full 48 minutes and never come out, never sit on the bench, never, never take a break, that's unheard of, but he willed himself to do it and they won, went to another championship, but normally the average LeBron plays for 38 minutes a game. He's considered the greatest basketball player playing the game today. And for 10 minutes, he sits on the bench and does nothing, rests and breathes, And so that got me thinking, guess how long in a 48-minute NBA game, on average, how long the ball is in LeBron James's hand? minutes. He only, on average, he touches the ball for six minutes. Six out of 48 minutes. And he's considered the most dominant, game-changing basketball player alive today and possibly ever. But he's only got the ball in his hand for six minutes. How in six minutes can you dominate a bunch of other professional athletes? that are also paid to do what you do and have done it since they were little kids. It seems like you would need the ball in your hand a little more if it was all on you and your greatness. All right, 6 minutes. And the championship he won back up to the first championship he won with Cleveland, he only had the ball in his hand for 5.1 minutes in that championship. And everybody considered him to have won that and pretty much picked up the whole team on his shoulders and carried them to the championship. Hmm. But he only touched the ball for five minutes out of 48 in every game throughout the whole championship. How? See, so that's the mystery of greatness. And we as humans, we see that six minutes. Right? We see what he does with the ball when it's in his hand. We see that he takes the shots and makes the shots and does blocks, packs, people, whatever it is. We see that six minutes, but we don't see all the other stuff. See, we don't think about all the training and all the preparation, and, and we don't think about the locker room talks and his competitive spirit at practices. And and we don't think about how much better he makes the other four guys on the court. How he could cause them to rise to a higher level just because he's that much better or all the different things that we don't think about. And it's the same with us and it's the same in the spirit. I mean, we want to look at five minutes of greatness or you've heard people say you're five minutes of fame or and every person sitting in this room can think of a time when you were great. You can probably think of, well, maybe for some of you, it's one minute of greatness or there, there's some time in your life you were great. There's a time when somebody asked you for advice and you just, you had it. Yes, you were like, yeah, I had something good to say. Or there was a time you were on a ball field and you hit the home run to win the game. Or there, there was something in your life. There was a time when your kid looked at you and said, you're the best dad in the world. And for that moment, you felt that greatness. And we look at that moment and say, hey, I want to be great. But what we don't look at all the other moments and all the other relationships and teammates and things that go into winning the championship look at Luke 7 28 look what Jesus said Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and at this time there's a lot of questions going on about John's questioning was Jesus the one or did I miss it and all this stuff and and look what Jesus has to say about his cousin John for I say unto you among those that are born of women Uh, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah. I think that's it. Covers everybody. For those that are born of women, there is no there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He said, "Okay. There's no other human alive That's a greater prophet. That's what John was called to be. He was a prophet. He prophesied. He preached. He prepared the way for Jesus. So that was the calling, the purpose, the greatness that was placed inside of John. And Jesus said, there's not another person that's ever been born on this planet that was as great as John. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Huh? what does it take to be great it takes courage you're going to fail sometimes you know what you have to do get up keep trying and when God tells you to do something it's going to take some courage sometimes you talk yourself out of it real fast I'm going to look dumb I can't do that I don't want to say that I don't want to give that. We get real stingy when God asks us to give something or say something or it's going to take some courage if you ever want to realize the greatness. Look throughout the Bible and find every Bible character in there that you think was great and show me one that didn't take some courage. I can't find one. At the end of Deuteronomy, we all know Joshua. Joshua was great. He led the the children of Israel across into the promised land and they won all these battles and they took the land that God had for them. They they lived in the home and under Joshua's leadership. We know that he was great. And at the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses is just about to die, the former leader, he lays hands on Joshua, and it says that Joshua received the spirit of wisdom. And then in the whole book of Joshua, there are no conversations about wisdom. Not even the word wisdom is used in the whole book of Joshua. It's never brought up again. He got the wisdom. He knew what he needed to do. He got the call. And they never talked about wisdom again. See, that was solved in the chapter before. And when you turn the page... The conversation is all about courage. Paul throughout Joshua, it's about courage. You know why? Cuz Joshua knew what to do. A lot like most of y'all do. You know what you need to do. You've heard his voice, you know his call, you know you know what's right. See, you didn't need, you don't need wisdom. I mean, you do need wisdom. But hey, a lot of times you already have the wisdom, you just need courage to do it. To step out and to trust. And so, turning the page in the conversation in the whole book of Joshua, it's all about courage. He knew what to do. Well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. That lie will carry you to your grave. And you will think all the way up to the end. I never had the talent Man, I never had the opportunities that some people have. I, I never got my big break. And I say, no. You never had the courage. You were a coward to ever realize the greatness that was on the inside of you. You never worked hard enough to see it realized in your life. If you never do anything great... Like, if you don't leave your mark on this planet, you don't leave a legacy behind, you just build a dynasty that's all about you and you don't leave a legacy, it is not because the man kept you down. It's not because you didn't have opportunities. It's because you were scared. To have courage is to be strengthened of heart. Be strengthened of heart. God put greatness inside of you. I need clarity. No, you don't. You need courage and faith. That's when the clarity comes, is when you step out. You don't get clarity before you step. You would need no faith. You get clarity when you take a step. That's how it works. If I could see it, I'd believe it. God says, if you'd believe it, you could see it. It's not bad to want to be great. Sometimes we get the wrong idea about that. Oh, I'm supposed to be humble. I don't want to be great or try to. We need to don't don't try to be great. Being great is not a bad thing. Trust me. Just kidding. Look at Mark 9.33. Let's see what Jesus said again while I get back on track. Mark 9.33. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? Jesus is asking the disciples, once they got in the house, hey, what was it that y'all were disputing or arguing about on the road? What was it y'all were arguing about? And they held their peace, nobody would say. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. So they're walking down the road and the disciples are arguing with each other which one was greater, who's going to be better, who's the greatest, who's the best. And Jesus asked them, You don't think Jesus knew what they were talking about or heard them? Like, why would Jesus have brought it up? He had a reason for everything he said. And especially these things got recorded in the Bible for us to go back and read. So Jesus knew what they were arguing about. And so they get in the house and and I love how Jesus said, Hey, what were y'all talking about? What was that big argument about on the road? And they're like, Oh, nothing. Now, If Jesus wanted to kill this in them, like if this was wrong or some great sin that was going to keep them from changing the world, like these are his pick to spread the gospel throughout the entire planet. It's on these dudes. So if they had some major flaw, he would have addressed it. In fact, he he would have and should have squashed this in them. Like get rid of it. And he didn't. And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said unto them, If any man desire to be first or great, he said, Y'all want to be first place? Anybody want to be great? You see what he he said? What were y'all talking about? Oh, nothing. And he said, Oh, okay. Well, then let me talk to y'all about something else. If anybody wants to be first or great, they're like, Anybody want to be first or great? Raise your hand. And they're, uh, Is this a trick question? And Peter's like, It doesn't say that. That's just how I think it went. The same shall be last of all, the servant of all. And Peter's like, oh, Never mind. We think it's wrong to want greatness or to want to be in first place, to want to be the best. And then Jesus says, be a servant, be last. And here's where I think we mess up. See, we think that that is opposite ends of the spectrum. We think greatness and first place is way over here and servanthood and last place is way over here. And greatness is over here wiping their feet on the face of the last place servant over here. Look, in our minds, we think it's opposite ends of the spectrum. And that's not what Jesus was saying. He said, hey, your, your perspective's a little bit off. Like, raise your hand if you want to be great. Because if you don't want to be great, then what I'm about to say doesn't even qualify. Like, just don't listen if you don't want to be great or you don't have that drive or you don't want to release the greatness inside of you. You don't want to walk out the call that's on your life, then go eat another fish sandwich. But I want to talk to the ones of you that want to be great. And I want to tell you what greatness is you're going to serve. Jesus didn't say give up on greatness. He said, who wants to be great? Who wants to be first? Me, 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 me. Good. Because this doesn't even qualify if you don't. This only has meaning for those who want greatness. Serving is greatness. Not, I'm going to serve until I get great. It's not, right? I'll clean the toilets until I get a promotion. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, you got to pay your dues. He said, serving is greatness. Like that's where you're going to find your greatness is in serving humanity. And we may serve in all different ways. The saddest thing to me is when we envy great people and we betray ourselves because we think that we laid greatness at the altar of faith and it was never a sacrifice that God called us to give. He called us to give up our ego but not greatness. Think about David. David was a shepherd, a servant, a warrior, a king. He was all. He was faithful. He was anointed to be the king. But guess what he did? Went right back to feeding sheep, to serving his father, to serving Saul. Even when he had a right to take the kingdom, he had a chance to kill Saul. Nope kept serving. he was a warrior but he was a shepherd and he was a king. See we want to be kings but we don't have the courage to be warriors or we want to be warriors and we don't have the faithfulness to be shepherds and to obey the Father. And we wonder why so one, why no one sees the king in us. Why does no one respect the warrior that's in me? Maybe we've not been faithful to the Father's instructions. We've got to learn to be a servant. The servant of all. I heard this guy talking about that he had um, interviewed people to come in and work, looking for a job to come into their organization and help them grow and be better. And So he interviewed. It was his job as the CEO. He would sit down and personally interview people that would come in for different positions and stuff. And he did that for years. And so he was talking about that, and he said he found it very interesting that he would interview people for jobs or also for job placement. And he would always ask the same question when they would come in and sit down, he would meet them. And then he would ask them, what are your skills? What are your gifts? And what's your contribution? And that would be what he would want to hear from them. And he said he heard two answers over and over and over and over. Over. People would, you know, with a little bit different words or a little bit different, but pretty much he heard the same two answers. And he said, especially in these, he said, I'd get these between 20 and 30 year olds that would come in and give me these same two answers over and over and over and over. Here's what they were First one, when he would ask them, What are your skills? What are your gifts? Like, What is your contribution to this organization? They would say, I'm a people person. And he was like, okay, what does that mean? I'm a people person. You like people? Well, that's good, because that's what we'll be working with. This organization doesn't even help aliens yet. So that's great to know you're a people person as opposed to what? A cat person or a dog person? Do you- what do you do with people? Do you you eat people? Like, you're a people person? Like, that makes... What what does that mean? Well, I'm a people person. And he would ask them, what does that mean? The other answer that he would always get is, I'm a visionary. Or some people would word it in this way, I'm a big picture person. He's like, and I would sit there and look across my desk at this 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old person trying to get their first job. They're telling me they're a big-picture person. And I'd say, okay, what does that mean? Oh, well, I don't do details. You don't do details. So he said, I think he he actually kind of had fun with the interviews, but... He would ask him, okay, what does that mean? He said, Oh, that means I'm not into details. I'm a big picture person, so I need like a staff to implement my vision. He said, Oh, okay, well, that's my job, and we're not, uh, we're not looking for somebody to fill that position. Thank you so much. See, you're not in a position to audition for that position. Here's what he found most of the people that say they are visionaries are not, they're just daydreamers. Visionaries pay great attention to detail. Michelangelo was a visionary and he cared about the details. Da Vinci was a visionary and he cared about the details. And Picasso was a visionary and he cared about the details. And Martin Luther King was a visionary and he cared about the details. And Orville and Wilbur Wright, that invented the airplane, they were visionaries, but they cared about the details. Kobe Bryant was a basketball player, but he cared about the details. And he was, I don't know if he still is, but he was the leading scorer in the NBA. And there's all these things that talk about how they're much more naturally gifted, talented players, taller players, people that can jump higher, run faster, that never even make it to the NBA than him. But he paid so much attention to detail and he would not be outworked. That he was the leading scorer. I think he still is, I don't could have looked that up paid attention to detail you see artists and leaders inventors and athletes storytellers and fighters coaches and teachers all of the great ones talking about greatness to be great all of the great ones pay attention to detail And everyone that ever realized greatness in whatever area you want to talk about, they thought they would. They knew somewhere along the way they realized there was greatness inside of them. And they had the courage to go for it. To greatness, details matter. The little things The discipline, the character when nobody's watching. It all works together. Psalm 145, verse 3. David wrote this God is magnificent, He can never be praised enough. There are no boundaries to His greatness. Think he starts God is great. There's no boundaries to his greatness. Generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells story of your mighty acts, stories of your mighty acts. Your beauty and splendor have everyone talking. I compose songs on your wonders. Your marvelous doings are headline news. I could write a book It is full of the details of your greatness. And we're created in his image. When I married Jesse, I didn't really know her. And truth be told, nobody really knows the person they marry. Some of y'all might have knew each other a little better than others of you, but really, I mean, you know some things about them. You might know some things about their family and some, yeah, you might know some things about them, but it's been my experience that you don't really know them until you get married. You really get to know them. Give it a little time. You start learning about them and finding out things about them and they about you. And so when we got married, we got married pretty young and, and I didn't really know her that well. And I made a mistake um, because like when I was a teenager and around that time before I got married, like I loved horses I like buying them and riding them and training them and breaking them and stuff like that. And then we got married and she was from California and she thought horses were pretty and she liked them. But see, in my mind, I thought it would be like the greatest sacrifice and this great thing to buy her a horse for a gift. And sneak around and get her this horse. And I got this beautiful horse and I bought it for her for... was the first horse I bought you was for Christmas or something, wasn't it? Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, this is an awesome Christmas present. I think she was very inexperienced and I bought a wild horse, but it was pretty and I could afford it. <laughs> right, and she was beautiful, black and white paint. And, and I froze my butt off trying to get it and walk it down there to surprise her and because we didn't live near her pasture i had to stick the horse up near i think at my mom's pasture or something anyways i bought her this horse thinking this will be great and it didn't turn out that good and it was kind of wild and then we get rid of it and then did i i didn't really learn no i bought her another horse later on down the road for something else and then she actually kind of liked that horse and it was cool and then it died her name was Sandy. And I was like, yeah. Dang thing died. So now she's just bawling, crying, and upset. And doesn't want, now I bought her something that broke her heart. So guess what I did? Bought her another horse that looked like Sandy but younger. Bad idea. Bad idea. She wasn't happy about that one. Looked like it reminded her of sandy but it wasn't as gentle it was younger and it looked same color like it it just wasn't a very good idea to keep buying her horses and to make sacrifices to get these horses you know I, like i was spending money on these horses that was our money to pay bills and start our life together and you know there's all different things you can you can look at here I bought her three horses because I loved horses. I did. And one year it occurred to me that I should probably figure out what she loves, what makes her tick. When she experiences loss, maybe she doesn't need a replacement that looks like what she just lost right away. Instead of me thinking what would make me feel better. That maybe because I love her, I should get to know her and what would make her tick and what she would need in that moment. You see, when you love a person enough, you get to know the details of who they are. The details matter. When you're passionate about something or someone details matter. It it matters. If you don't really love someone or something, if you don't really know someone or something, then you project project your details on them or it. That's what I was doing because I didn't really know her, so I was thinking, hey, what would I like? What would be the most awesome present that I could receive? What would I need to get me over this heartbreak? Or what would, like, see, because I didn't know her well enough, I was just projecting my details on her. If you really love something, then the details matter. So let me ask you this question, and we're going to wrap it up. What in your life do you care about enough for the details to matter? What is it? Now what what in your life do you care enough? For the details to matter. And the discipline is there and and there's enough faith and courage that you'll step past any fear to do it, to walk through it. See, it's one thing to have a big dream, But if God gives you a dream, then He has given you stewardship of the details. God doesn't just give you a dream and then that's it. Think about the story of Joseph we just talked about. Yeah, God gave him the dream and then he had to walk through all this stuff. There was a whole lot of details that had to be worked out. God gives you stewardship of the details. See, the story of Joseph, his dreams came true, but he paid attention to the details. Joseph wasn't just a dreamer, he became a detailed person. He may not have been a detailed person when he was a kid. In fact, if you go back and read the story that I just told you some of, it doesn't seem like he was. He didn't realize, like, this is going to make all my brothers mad if I go and approach them with this dream in this way. And this is going to do. Like, no, he just seemed like a young, dumb dude. He wasn't, he didn't pay attention to the details at first. He was a visionary. He had a dream. He got a vision of the future. He was a visionary who became an economist he was a dreamer who became an administrator he took care of the nation for seven years of plenty so that there would be enough in the seven years of famine the whole nation and he did such a good job that they not only had enough to save them in the seven years of famine they had enough to save other nations like the children of israel his brothers God's people he had to pay a lot of attention to detail well how much corn do we need to stay alive and how much can we save over the next seven years so that we'll have enough for the next seven years after that like if you want to step into your greatness then you need to pay attention to the details I'll just run around talking about the dream or the big vision or the greatness inside of you you better start paying attention to the details the steps of obedience, the the things that you need to do today so that in five years you'll be ready. I 100% believe that there is greatness that would be realized by a lot of us today had we started taking steps and paying attention to details five years ago. But we have not realized that greatness or the depth of that calling because... We were scared. We didn't have courage to step into it, to pay attention to the little things because they don't matter. They do matter. The devil isn't in the details. You may have heard that. The dream is. Your dream is in the details. Joseph's family came, and and we we talked about that. His brothers showed up, and they didn't believe in the dream. They didn't believe in him. They didn't believe there was greatness in him. They didn't believe in the dream. They didn't believe in any of that. So I want you to know that when, when God gives you a dream, you need to do like Joseph and don't live in bitterness. He wasn't angry at them. He remembered the dream. He wasn't mad at them because they didn't believe in him. And Oh, my haters, you can stay out of my life now that I made it. You don't come in here begging me to help you. You weren't with me when I was struggling. You don't be with me when I'm prospering. That's not greatness. Why? Because when God gives you a dream, you don't live in bitterness. You understand it's not about you. God dreams are about other people. God dreams are about blessing humanity. God dreams are about serving others. Jesus taught it in so many different ways. And as Joseph was dying, his last words were not, see, I told you. I saved y'all, and y'all are bowing down to me, Uh. right? No, when Joseph died, he said, y'all have a future. There's greatness in you, and y'all are going to do things that I've never done. I know right now it looks like I'm the greatest in the family. Right now, it looks like the the most greatness came out of me. But y'all have a future, and y'all are gonna go places I've never gone. So take my bones with you, just as a sign. Like I carried y'all into this land, now y'all carry me out of this land. It's not over. What was he doing? He gave them a dream. What does it take to be great? It takes this depth of character that says, my dreams are not for me. They're for others. See, the six minutes of greatness that LeBron James has, six minutes that he's holding the ball, that's not it. Six minutes can't win a championship. I don't care how good you are. You can't just run out on the court and get handed the ball for six minutes and win against five other professional athletes and professional coaches. Six minutes, can't win a championship. His greatness is defined by how much better he makes everyone around him. A good quarterback can win with good or great receivers, but a great quarterback can win with no name receivers. And because he causes the people around him to come up to a higher level. That's what greatness does. There's greatness inside of you. But it's not there only for you. It's for others. So in 2020, um, thousands, literally thousands of churches I don't say the exact number because there's different reports and I don't know exactly which one's right. But literally thousands of churches have had to close their doors because of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And, and people were either unwilling or couldn't figure out how to go online or to keep people engaged. Or like tithes and offerings stopped coming in and ministries stopped. Like thousands of them went under and here at the end of the year as, I mean, obviously we didn't go under or close our doors and it's the end of the year. So we're doing the giving letter, thanking every one of you that gave this past year and, and just all that stuff that we do at the end of every year. And, and as I sat in my office yesterday, thinking about all this and, and looking over the numbers and, and praying for all of you that gave and stuff and, uh, uh, I got a really cool piece of paper that I was looking over yesterday that when some of the, the totals were added, and so I wanted to bring it and just tell you guys, because mm-hmm. I think it's really cool and something to celebrate, that that we as a church, if you don't know this, probably most of you know it, but we as a mm-hmm. church, I think three years ago, we we were convicted that, you know, we believe in giving and tithing mm-hmm. and and that we believe God would bless us. And so we as a church give at least 10% of everything that comes in the tithes and offerings to something bigger or different than ourselves and to what we believe is good ground because we know that God will bless us as a church. And so like in a year where churches were closing their doors and donations were down and just regular tithes and offerings and people were out of work and just a year of major uncertainty, um, we as a church, and this is more than 10% of what we took in last year, but we as a church, our total giving, we gave to the Blake House right down the road. And we see fruit. and We have fruit from the Blake House here that we get to see. And uh, we believe in that ministry. And we were able to give the Blake House $4,852 last year to help them keep going. We gave House of Cherith, the safe house for um, survivors of sex trafficking. We gave them $3,634. We gave Beyond Uganda um, for overseas. Remember I read you guys that letter about the guy and his family and how we fed, I forgot how many meals we fed during COVID to people that just did not have food or work. And we gave them $1,200 this year. Um, We gave $1,000 to Harrelson County Touchdown Club, which fed all the um, football players meals and drinks and like gave them what they needed and just kind of was a light in the community for our for our church and helped out people that couldn't afford that. Um, there was, we did Operation Christmas Child where a lot of you pitched in and did your own boxes and chipped in on that, but the church chipped in $1,150 on the Operation Christmas Child to send those boxes to kids in orphanages and all over the world. Um. there was a and that's not counting the things that like you guys did too like that Operation Christmas Child mm-hmm. like we did way more than that but y'all did your own parts too so this is just what like the church chipped in on some of these different things and all totaled up that was like $11,837 that we as a church were able to just sow mm-hmm. into other things that we feel like we're good ground to sow seed into other things, and that makes me super proud. Like that's the most we as a church have ever been able to sow into other things. It's almost twelve thousand dollars that we turn around and put put back in, and and it's more than that. Like I said, because you as individuals have done all kind of extras and more and crisis pregnancy center bottles and all these other things. So that's just the what the church put in, and I. I heard this song yesterday, Matthew West's song. It's called Do Something. And there's this line that says, I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. And if we sit around waiting on God or someone else to do something because we don't have the faith or the courage, We don't realize that the greatness is inside of us to do something. The call is inside of us to bless humanity, to to do what he's called us to do, to serve somebody. Jesus' greatness wasn't for him. Jesus came to the earth and lived the greatest life I can think of, and he did miracles, and he walked in ministry, and he never sinned, and he did everything, and it ended up with this dying on the cross and he went to hell and he fought the devil and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Like what could be greater than the life of Jesus? And it wasn't for him. It was for us. Jesus stepped into human history and his greatness was poured out so that we could be in relationship. So how 2,000 years ago he lived this great life. He died and and we're still talking about it here today. Or the best athlete only holds the ball for six minutes. God holds eternity. Because of three days or 33 years of Jesus' life. When Jesus stepped into human history. And now his greatness unleashes your greatness. When you cross that line of faith and believe that his death on the cross covered your sins, and you cross that line of faith, the greatness of Jesus unleashes the greatness or the purpose on the inside of you. When you believe that, when you confess that, it it activates. So today, I'm looking for a few people to, to cross that line of faith. Maybe you've never crossed that line before. This could be your day. It's real easy. You can do it any way you want. You use your own words. Jesus, I give you my life. You, God use me. Hey, God, I'm sorry for being scared. Hey, God, I'm sorry for overlooking the details. I'm sorry I'm sorry for settling for instant gratification when you've called me to obedience. Whatever it is for you, I invite you to cross that line. Make a decision today for 10 years from now. You can make a decision today. That will affect your life in five years, next year, 10 years, 50 years. Everything can change because of a decision that you made today when you heard the voice. You just respond with obedience. There's greatness inside of every one of you. I want to see you realize that greatness. If every one of y'all sitting under the sun, just every one of y'all in this room right now realized and walked out the greatness that's on the inside of you, we would change the world. No question. If half of y'all did, we could change the world. If one of you did, you could change the world. God, thank you. God, thank you that you've called us. I I thank you that you made a way where there was no way. that, That you had a plan even when we messed up and while we were at our worst. That you died for us and that your greatness unlocks greatness inside of us. God, help us to change our perspective. And to see that real greatness is serving and loving people. and Help us to pay attention to the details so that we're not just talkers. But that we back it up with action. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thanks for calling us your sons and your daughters. Thanks for stretching us and growing us. We, we thank you for this new year that's coming up. We believe that you're going to do even bigger things this year. We're ready. We're excited. In Jesus' name, amen.